Welcome back to another episode of Season 5 of the RAG Podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season, we're a little bit different. How do you, as a recruitment leader and founder, maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work? How do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally? And how do you find time for yourself in the madness? How do you find time for self-interest, for hobbies and self-improvement? Well, to help you with this, I'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG Podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by a guest called Chris O'Connell. Chris is the founder of a leadership coaching business. Um, he is the leadership coach where he helps mainly recruiters, but other people with their mindset. Um, he calls it base mindset because he has six different levels that effectively are the base to being happy in your life. Um, and the way Chris knows how to help recruitment owners with this is because he bases it all on his own life. Um, he was a super successful recruiter, building upwards of a million pounds a year. He then launched his own agency, Timothy James, which he scaled up to 100 staff, 25 million pound turnover. He then exited in his mid-30s, having a, had a horrific um, time with a private equity firm, didn't make the money he wanted and had a really tough time personally to the point where he actually tried to commit suicide on a number of occasions. Um, after coming out of the darkness, he then decided to invest in, in, in creating a more holistic life. Um, and now... He is really proud to say, you know, he lives a great life. He, he's got balance of his fitness, his health, his business, his children, his relationships. And he's helping recruitment founders and, and um, businesses with, with finding that balance, that purpose-led, happy, being the CEO of your own life. So let's get into the show. Without further ado, Chris, welcome to the RAG podcast. Sean, mate, thank you so much for having me on. You've been on my show. It's great to be on yours. I know, mate, and I'm 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 sorry it's taken so long. I've I've wanted you on for ages, just didn't get around to doing it, whatever reason. And now I'm delighted to have you on as we come to the end of season five. I yeah. can't believe season five. We've done like I don't know, well over two hundred episodes. It's been mental. But um, yours. When did I do? I did yours about a year ago. I was living in Manchester last summer, yeah. early oh. summer. I think. It's a really good one, mate. You opened up quite a lot about some of your, you know, your mm. alcohol stuff and how you pivoted. And I've I've witnessed and watched you since then and I've, it's a remarkable kind of you know imp not improvement that's the wrong word isn't it but I think you you think you can you can both see the see the growth and you mentioned that before with your running and all that kind of stuff right yeah yeah I've done a, I've done a lot obviously I was just coming out of a divorce at that point I was yeah. just going through the divorce now I'm getting married again mental yeah we'll talk about <laughs> we'll talk about that one um Chris this is about you so I've just given you an introduction. I can never do it justice. For the listener's benefit, if they don't know who you are, most people do from LinkedIn these days, mm. but if they don't, just give us the overview of who you are right now. Yeah, sure. So 25 years recruitment experience. I'm currently a leadership coach, NED, a podcast host. Uh, so I go into businesses and recruitment businesses mainly and help them drive forward and execute their vision. Amazing. Um, and how long have you been doing that? Well, I think... Uh, a leadership coach probably since I started in the industry. I think we start start out coaching from a very sort of young age and we don't actually realize that we're doing that. But formally, probably the last three or four years, what I've really built a, a strong NED portfolio. Amazing. So let's get into your story because you were a really successful recruitment founder that then mm. it all came and fell apart in some ways that you've been yeah. very open and vocal about. And then you've then come out the other side and focused more on how you want to live your life rather than just growing for growing's sake like we do mm. i mean it's funny because this show i believe has so many benefits but can be can have some downsides that everyone's obsessed with growth at all costs you know it's all about yeah. headcount and revenue and PL and you forget about who you are in the process right and i think that's what i want to i was really excited about talking with you um yeah. when 
when you got it, talk, give me the really short story of your like recruitment career before yeah. you started your agency. I don't want to go into like the detail, but just what year did you yeah. start? How long were you in it? Who did you work for? That kind of stuff. Yeah. So then there's two sides to my story. There's the childhood one, which we can delve into, but the recruitment one quickly. I started in recruitment in 1998 for S3. Most people know who they are, you know, yeah. four or five thousand consultants worldwide you know, across 20 countries and 60 offices. And I was a very shy, what beyond the years, 21, 22 year old, walks into the Thames Valley office. They've all got, most of them were driving Ferraris back then. This is old school, kind of 25 years ago. You can imagine like everyone's on the phone and all that kind of stuff. And I was, you know, ordinarily that wouldn't be the sort of environment that I would be putting in when I was like that. But for some reason, I took to it like Dr. Water. I was, um, uh, initially a resourcer or a researcher actually just kind of pulling jobs then I got promoted to become a consultant very quickly became the UK top biller for computer futures and then the worldwide top biller across the whole group of, of all S3 so I was billing you know six seven eight hundred grand a year year on year then became a manager director team leader and kind of knocked it out of the park and loved it as contract recruiter project program management change management got up to 19 grand a week GP and just just absolutely loved it and thought S3 computer futures was the holy grail cut me in half I would bleed it and then I just woke up one day and thought fuck it I want to do it for myself and just left um and set up my own business in 2003 and then walked away from a huge contract book yeah 19 grand a week GP mate I mean I was earning big money you know how did you walk away that see I was on similar I think 60 odd grand a month so what's that 15 grand GP yeah and that kept me there until I got into management and basically learned the skills to lead others, but also did diluted my my GP across others because yeah, I was you know coming out with nine grand, ten grand a month at the age of 26, 27. I wasn't that was not easy to just say I'll fucking give that up because no, all right, you're gonna start your own business, but three months I've just got 30 grand. I mean, at that age, how did you not mm. go through any of those battles of yeah, I mean, it was like that. I mean, I was I was offered kind of like some sort of franchise, you know, where they kind of do a business within the business. And I and I, and I was there was a guy called John Pullen there who sadly passed away now. He's one of my mentors. He was, you know, I was going to work with him, and it's all going to be great. But I think I reached a natural conclusion. I moved to the London office, and I I, I just had my first child. Um, and there was sort of some some personal complexities that kind of like brought things to a head. And I thought. I just had this inherent belief, inherent desire, even from the age of four or five, that I was going to be an entrepreneur and run my own business. So it, it was a real shock to me because kind of up until the day before, I didn't even think about doing it. But then I just woke up and thought, no, I'm going to. So there was there was a bit of a battle, but I just I just had this confidence that I would be able to smash it out of the park anyway. So what was um, your life like then? Chaotic, mate, to be honest. A business was really good, obviously top of the tree in, in, in work, but personal life, um, not very good. You know, how old, so you you said you had your first kid and you're old. Oh mate, so I, I moved to Bristol with Computer Futures within six months. Uh, met this Irish girl. And we got pregnant within six months, and the way that she told me um, that we were uh, pregnant was wasn't very nice, and it kind of uh, it fell apart very quickly. So I kind of was bamboozled into into kind of having to deal with that kind of. How old were you at that point? Twenty four, twenty five. Yeah, so you're younger. So, Earning, earning, I can't even remember how much I was earning there, 15, 20 grand a month. I can't even remember what the number is. It was a stupid amount of money back then for, for that, someone of that age. A father in a new city, it, yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a shock to the system. Um, but if anything, um, it kind of spurred me on to kind of set up my own business and go, go forward from there. So what did you name that company? Timothy James. So it was myself, my business partner's middle names. You know, we spent ages trying to think of a name and then it was like, oh, that sounds all right. <laughs> Who was a business partner? A guy called Pete Bennett. So he was ex um, uh, Computer Futures as well. He was Perm, and we had right. kind of different but very complementary skills. And it kind of mm. when it worked very well. And that business, I mean, we won fourteen industry awards, three Virgin Fast Track one hundred awards in a row. Um, you know, we got to twenty five million quid turnover. You know, nearly a hundred staff. We were ahead of our time. And anyone who you know who who worked there now uh, will say it was one of the best businesses, if not the best business. Um, and many of them have gone on to run their own businesses as well. So, you know, without blowing our own trumpets too much, we did build a, a very, very Tell solid. A bit business. more about that then. So, what hmm. what was the what, what year was it, and what was the what was the reality of starting a company when you've just left a huge contract book? You're a young guy, yeah. you've got a kid at home. Yeah, sure you saved some cash, but what what was it like? 
Oh, mate, it was completely bootstrapped. We didn't, I didn't really, I mean, we just, back then, we just pissed it up the wall anyway, so I didn't really have any money. <laughs> so we spent so me and Pete just starting out, just billing, really. And I remember, you know, we we, we we gave ourselves pseudonyms. I was David Branson. He was Richard something else because we wanted to create this perception that was more than two people. Right. I was in this, it was in his meeting in, in Cardiff and was waiting in the reception and the guy came out and said, David, nice to meet you. I didn't say anything. David, nice to meet. You. And I was like, I jumped around, remembered I was called David. So it was, it was those kind of things. And it was in another meeting where, and the guy asked us, "So how long have you been? How long have you been going for?" And I said nine months, and he said three years at exactly the same time. So it's all this kind of all this kind of stuff that we didn't even think we're kind of naive and just going into it. And we battled through all those kind of stuff. And you know, we, we had a client pay us twice by accident, and thank God they did because we couldn't pay the staff. And it was it was difficult. It was challenging. But we what got did you recruit? Um. A lot in the public sector initially, and then it was then we built built out senior appointments, but then we built out kind of IT and uh, e-commerce and uh, financial services. So it's a project program change management across five five or six different. That's sectors. what I used to recruit. The same, yeah, yeah. Because then you could, you could cross fertilize. You could move the, a good candidate in that area can go cross cross industry, right? Mm. So you, how how did that? What was the growth trajectory like? So there's two of you at the beginning lying about your names. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, um, how did the first few years go? I think I think it was me predominantly doing the biddings, um, yeah. more of the biddings, and Pete was you know doing the operations and building that out. And we, we kind of like we struggled. We got to five or six, we moved offices a couple of times, and then we got to sort of seven or eight, and we had a decent contractor book, and we just thought, fuck it, let's go for this. We moved into this six thousand square foot office, which is about can see eighty people with six people. We walked in them, and the, the guys were. Yeah, and the guy, the guys went, which one's our bit? And I went, fucking all of it, mate. And they were like, yeah. it was literally the size of a football pitch. It was so funny. And then, and then we just accelerated. We hired a couple of, we hired um, a great girl to head up our NH, NHS public sector division, and that absolutely flew. Then we hired a good perm manager. We had, we hired three or four people, and it really accelerated really quickly. Um, we were voted the second fastest growing recruitment company in the UK. Um, three virgin fast tracks in a row. So we went from sort of two or three people to twenty quite quickly. When we got to twenty, we opened up. Or thirty, we went up London and Manchester. We got to, so we got to naught to seventy or eighty people in about six or seven years, um, which we're really pleased with. Um, you know, how did G- your role? How did your role shape that? Because you said you were billing. What What was your yeah. role? As group? So I mean, the first two or three years, I was I was doing all the other stuff as well, but predominantly billing. And then it was kind of like what we decided to do was because we did have different strengths, strengths and areas of improvement. Pete was a perm person. I was contract. So instead of both doing everything, we decided, look, what, what's our strengths? When we set ourselves sort of three to five key objectives, we decided I would I would, I would would run the contract side of the business. He had run perm, and that worked really well. So then he was sort of head of that, and I was head of that. And we kind of left ourselves to our own devices to a degree. Any big decisions, yeah, we had to chat about. But rather than, you know, which coffee should we buy or what color wall should we paint, we just kind of allowed the person to do what they wanted to do. And that was a learning curve as well, because I think we were both a little bit kind of protective and controlling. And it's the nature of a recruitment recruiter, right? You kind of want to do everything. We kind of like, and there were times when we stepped on each other's toes and we, we had arguments and work. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't a bed of roses sometimes, but ultimately mm. um, we battled through that and we just realized that actually what we had was something really special. So that's how we structured the business, basically. Wicked. So you were 24, 25 starting it off. Yeah. So then at 30, you said six, seven years, you reached nearly 100 or 75, 80 people. You're in your mm. early 30s. Mm. How would your life evolve with the business? Because you've obviously started, I'm sure you were earning great money as you were before. Yeah. What was life? I, mean, like? I was I was, I was, was insanely laser focused on the business. 99.99% or probably 100% of my time, my thinking was about the business. I'd send stupidly send emails out to the team at two o'clock in the morning if I came up with an idea. But they loved the drive and the, and the passion. So I lost relationships. I lost contact with my 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 son. I mean, my life was, you know, we was we was winning awards and growing the business. It was it was busy. It was it was fun. We were going out. We went to the Monaco Grand Prix. Went to Vegas. Did all these things. But I think back to the type of person I was. I look at some pictures now, and I think. I was probably a bit of a dick back then, to be completely frank with you. Not, not, not in that context, but probably because I didn't know how to handle that kind of situation. So on one hand, the business was flying and people bought into me. On the other hand, it was like, I don't think I was on the planet. So I wasn't, I wasn't looking at my personal life, wasn't looking at personal development, wasn't looking at purpose, wasn't looking at any of that kind of relationship stuff. So 
I think that it became quite difficult for me to actually build a, a meaningful life outside the business because I was just so entrenched in it. What was driving you though? Why were you? You said you wanted yeah. to be an entrepreneur at the age of four. Yeah. What? What I mean, was just, the? And what was yeah. the? What was behind it all? This is a question I ask all my guests as well, and it's you know it's about the purpose. Back then, I think it was to prove my mum wrong. So without kind of going into too much detail, I mean, I was abandoned child when I was two. So my dad came home from work. I was living in the cat. Was living in the caravan. He worked the night shift. I was handing out the the, the caravan window naked. My brother had raided the fridge. She left us there, left us there all night. So I was abandoned by my mum. She never saw her again, basically. Then my then my then my um. Dad You've never seen your mum since then. No, well, I, I, once I tracked her down, and we met for an hour, and it was, it was just, yeah, it confirmed what I always thought. She just, she just couldn't be bothered with me, basically. So that that kind of really affects me. So when you're when you're neglected by, by your own mum, right? And then my dad remarried, and uh, she 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 abused me massively, mate. So the first two female figures in my life were horrendous role models so in answer to your question i think subconsciously it was trying to prove her wrong or those two females wrong because i just felt so unworthy so inferior so different so vulnerable so kind of like it kind of like it pushed me on and but i now realize that motive or that reason was probably wrong now i've gone through so much stuff and now doing it for myself so back then it was kind of just to prove them wrong yeah so if anything on one hand I see that as a gift now because it, it probably did give me my drive. You wouldn't wish it on anyone, though. No, it's not the, not the ideal thing. But I, I, if anything, it happens for a reason, right? And it has made me the person I am today. What about your dad? Was he, was he still present throughout your childhood? No. So, like, when it happened, my dad wasn't emotionally capable, emotionally intelligent enough, financially capable, or just able or caring, willing not that's the wrong word he wasn't ready to take on two young boys he, he never hugged me he never never so i was fostered for three or four years and then he took us back and then you know he used to work on the railways he had to get up at five o'clock in the morning and walk to his railway and then walk to on my own to school so even my foster mom said even from the age of three i was like the parent of the family it was like one of those things i've always stood have to stand on my own two feet so you know i don't like the term self-made millionaire because that's not the truth but what i'm trying to say is i've i was i made my life out i had to for my own and kind of you know i didn't i didn't complete a full week at school in the last week at grammar school because i ha i hated the conformity of school i always used to skive off and forge my dad's letters and kind of like i just felt up until the age of well actually probably about 42 i, I felt very different very inferior and very you know unworthy and it's the work i've done on myself since my since i left the family having got divorced that has pivoted me to where i am now so I think that stop. I want to go back. I'm sorry. I'm, you've, you've, there's so much here that that you can unpack. But hmm. how did you get into recruit? I know we've always thought we mentioned the S3 thing. Yeah. But if you're coming out of school, I imagine you didn't get many qualifications. Is that right? Oh, no. So I went. Um, I somehow got went to a grammar school, which I'm pleased about because the secondary school was rough as fuck. And I, God knows yeah. where I'd be. <laughs> um, so I managed to get four, you know, four GSCs. Then went to college, did a business and finance, BTEC, and then um, I walked down. I was born in. I walked down Slough High Street with my CV. Went into five different agencies. Um, I got an interview at Computer Futures and after 11 interviews, got the job. So, um, what age were you then? About 19 or something, 18? Uh, 20, I think, 21. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's an incredible story that you, how you've got it. And, and what I love about our industry is it, it, it does provide such a platform of opportunity for people that come from all walks of life, you know, come from, mm. You know, I often used to think if I'd not gone to uni and just gone straight into recruitment, where would I be? But then I'm like, oh, I won't change anything of what I've done. But it is no, amazing no. that you can just go straight in at 18 and earn more than the prime minister within three years. I mean, it's fucking nuts, really. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those sectors that um, we're very fortunate in that regard. But I also think that you do earn earn the money. You, you know, you can use the word deserve, but I think you do still have to earn your money. You don't get that money by by luck. You, you no, and it's like never it. guaranteed either because it's a, your contract book is your, or whatever is your book, isn't it? And if it dies, <laughs> you go back to earning whatever your base was. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's skip back then. So we've gone a bit oh, – people listening can keep up with us. We've gone a bit all over the place. But where my, men, my mentality is at now is you're 32. You're at 70 people, 70, 80 people. You won yeah. all these awards. What happens next? Hmm. See, this was the thing, right? 
I didn't really set horizons or targets. I did. I did with my team, but I. I don't think I had. A, it could have been like four hundred million. I'd have been like, oh, okay. So I got. I got. I got to five million. I got to ten million. Got to fifteen million. Every time I got there, it was like it felt it felt good. But it wasn't kind of like, oh, this this is amazing. I can't it make it. A good profit though, was it making EBIT? Because there's so yeah. many companies that make twenty million and make fuck yeah. all money. No, we had seven figures EBIT data. So we had like one point six, one point seven EBIT. You know, it could have been better, but it's still pretty strong. It's still but, pretty good, isn't it? It's life changing yeah. the amount of money. What yeah. were you doing with that money at the time? Spending well, it, saving it. What was your strategy? I mean, I mean, I was to be honest. You know, I I had six or seven houses, which is quite good. But I did, I did, I was, I was relatively reckless with my money because I just, you know, it did make me feel a little bit kind of superior and immortal and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, spending money on like thirty-five grand watches at a rose gold one, and then thought, oh, I want to get it in Chrome as well. I was like, unnecessary, you know. <laughs> Um, and I laugh about it now, but I'm, I, I would I, I would never do that now. But I'm not. I, yeah, it's funny because I mean, I'm not making the kind of money you were making there. We're, we're doing well as a business, but I'm not interested in material things. I just know that mm. I never have been. I think my mum mm. was never. I'm never. So like, you know, my iWatch is my iWatch and I'm not yeah, yeah. new and I drive a Mercedes A-Class, which is a 300 quid a month car. I'm yeah. living in Sheffield, which is a cheap place to live. I bought a house which hopefully is going through, which is a beautiful home, but what you you pay a lot more in London or the South. Um, but we go away a lot. I've just got back from Turkey a couple of days ago. I was in Florida three like six weeks ago. I was in Ibiza four weeks ago. I'm going to nice. Valencia in, in eight days. I'm going to LA in September, Turkey again in October. That's where I value my cash. Yeah. And it's mad, okay. isn't it? Like, it sounds like you probably didn't value those experiences at that age. It was just... No. Fine. There was an element of taking it for granted because I thought I thought that this would this kind of situation wouldn't end, you know. So we go to Monaco, we go to you know some amazing places, you know, Amalfi Coast, Brazil, you know. Um, and I, I don't think I necessarily appreciated it then, but now, you know, people are going to think this is bollocks, but it's not. I mean, I, I wake up every day, go on my balcony and, and on the river, and and I really appreciate the river and things like that. And, you know, I, I do I do meditate and I do stuff like that. So I appreciate the quality time with my kids. We've gone camping this 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 year, which has been amazing. And I've got a same sort of car as you've got a Mercedes like you, but not, you know, not not necessarily a flash one. And I've got a, I've got a, I just bought myself a watch that was, you know, nowhere near as expensive as that. And I, I just, I just thought that was a, a, I get a real sense of joy and fulfillment out of like, for example, Paul, I bought my kids um, some Nike trainers last month, and that made me feel really good. And it's all world apart from what I was like 15 years ago. So I do really appreciate that kind of stuff now, as opposed to being materialistic about the size of my office, the car, the watch, the house. You know, I live in a two-bed apartment on the river, as opposed to a, I had a six-bedroom mansion back then. You know, it's different. So what happened? What's happened then? Let's go. So you're at that point. You you know how long did when did it all start to change? Well, we got it up to, uh, we'd opened up London and Bristol was our HQ. We just opened up Manchester as well. And I was doing the the blueprint for an office in Paris, I think it was, and another office, talking to a guy to open up an office in Oz. And then Pete walked in one day and just said he didn't want to do it anymore. His wife just had his third child, which is fair enough. And he wanted to exit. So how, long like, you, how long had you been going? About eight years? Nine, nine years, right? The business was valued at 20, 20, 20 25 million quid. Um, and obviously I didn't have 10, 12 million quid in my back pocket to buy them out. <laughs> so we had to, we had to buy, we had to get a business partner in, we had to get a buyer in. So we did this information memorandum, got it all set up. And, you know, we had so many interests before we even pressed the button on it. Somehow people found out about it. We've getting people saying we want this business because we were, we were flying, right? I got this offer in and it was a really good offer. Pete was happy with it. I accepted it. And then they pulled the plug at the last minute that I did. An, so I did, did, did another deal with private equity firm and I have to be careful what I say because I have to I have signed an NDA but um we did the deal with them I was I became a CEO retained my 50% I got a lovely uh loan note for that and um the first basically you get a it's it's um amount that's paid to you uh as part of a, a structure of financial payments for doing doing a transaction of that of that kind um and does that, does that come off your equity or anything no. no it's just a and do you have to pay that back uh not no not not no. in that structure it's more the business pays you um but the structure that I, it's different for each person but the structure i got was i didn't lose out i only gained from it so yeah. it was a good right. deal right 
good deal for me. And the reason why I partnered with this 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 firm was, you know, their track record in getting businesses from where they were to exiting. Not that we didn't necessarily even need it, but this this vehicle was exceptional. But the first year and was really bought, good. and they bought out your business partner. You yeah, and he, he did an exit whereby on day one he could exit. Which did he was, get? He got that amount that he wanted. Well, I suppose I, I haven't asked yeah. him directly. Um, but I, I, you can only assume if you, if you if you do get a quick exit like that, you, you have to take a bit of a hit. Yeah. You know, you can't just walk away in the sunset and say, I want the full whack. It doesn't work like that, right? Um, so then I was I was kind of the CEO and then we had these people come in and the first year was good. It was really good. And then very quickly, the culture kind of changed quite dramatically. And uh, some private equity houses are different to others, but, you know, it's kind of like got to the extent where the culture was was tarnished around some of the decisions we had to make um and it kind of all fell apart a little bit basically um for one reason or another and at the same time i was getting divorced so, so let's just go back a step so what sort of decisions does a, did the pe firm drive like what did you have to do well no it's just it's more so i i went from being kind of driving the business you know sitting in the middle of the office and being part of that culture and engaging with the team and all that kind of stuff to like looking at spreadsheets all, all, all day and kind of that that kind of mentality whereby where can we save a pound to, to, to get more profit as opposed to you know where can we you know it, it, the mentality was different it, it was more looking at the bottom line rather than the growth and that that did affect the structure of the board and it was all, all almost became too formal um so that that was part of the reason why it kind of broke down and you know and uh if, and people people didn't really necessarily buy the vision anymore because it didn't feel like the origin the original kind of even though you were still the face of it yeah i was still the face of it but you know these people that came in there was there was quite a few of them so there was yeah. like five or six of them so it's kind of like it was a completely different business and um, do you think do you think you without your partner as well was a different dynamic because you yeah it was a different that was a different i mean that that was a different dynamic you know essentially um we worked well together and it was good but it's not a case of just because pete left the business didn't work it, 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 there's much more to it that i'd like to say but it's more a question of when external people come in that you don't know to that level and the meetings that we have are focused just on where we can save money it doesn't engender the culture that you want around camaraderie and you know, and uh, building a culture that's going to sort of encourage people to join you. Um, so it was, it was, it was just a different animal. Okay. And how long did that last? That sort of decline, if you like, of of the culture and and everything else. No, it's, it was very. I mean, it was uh, it was a, just a couple of years. So I, I so I decided to exit the business um after two years because it just wasn't it wasn't i wasn't enjoying it i was getting burnt out oh it just it didn't feel like the business that it that it want that it once was so within two years um uh, yeah i parted company with the business um and had a very dark period of four or five years of divorce you, you mentioned you were going through divorce at that point as well or had you been? Had you already got out of it by the time you left? It was a very, very similar sort of time. Lost access mm. to my children. Tried to commit suicide a few times, and I lost millions of pounds during that. Did you make? Did you get bought out for a significant amount that was life changing enough to be okay? No. No, it wasn't life changing. No. No. So how was that? Just because you were desperate to go, they were. You took a deal. Or? No, it's just how it is, how it, tra how it transpired in terms of, it's difficult. I, it's, I mean, I, I'd like to say more, but I, I, I just can't, yeah. I just can't it's, go into more detail other than the fact that um, it wasn't the, the, the amount that I wanted, but if anything, it was probably a good thing it happened in the, in a way because um, it made me reassess who I, who I was as a person anyway. So I think what I, what I learned from that is that you can chase a destination or you can chase an amount of money. But I mean, even, even if I got that, the life, the life changing amount of money and what's the life changing amount of money anyway, I don't even know what that figure is. So no. um, to be honest, I don't think either of us, myself or Peter received a life changing amount of money. Actually, overall, we probably received both received about the same once it's, right. once it's all panned out. So that was a good thing that we both did receive the same, but 
I think that if we did had our time again, we'd probably both do things slightly differently. So you, what age were you and what year was it when you, when you actually exited the business? 2013 ish. So, uh, 10 years ago now. Right. So about four, uh, 33, 34. Right. So you, yeah, still a really young guy. You're going through yeah. divorce. How many kids have you got at this point? Uh, at that point I had, uh, two, so I've got three now. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but what, and whilst, what, whilst we're having the third one, it was happening as well. So, I mean, the, the, so the situation of kind of not, not getting the outcome that I wanted culminated in me, uh, having some difficulties and, you know, getting, getting divorced, moving outside the family home and kind of struggling with my purpose, my identity. And it really hit me for six. And you can imagine, you know, how exposed I was. I was the CEO of this big business everyone knew me in the sector and then i was watching judge judy every day it was a big transition man big big transition yeah i can't imagine and i'd love to tell you more about why that happened and one day hopefully i'll be able to but I, you know for the for, for confidentiality i just can't i'm interrupting today's episode to bring you a message from our sponsor vincere vincere the all-in-one recruitment platform for the most innovative recruitment agencies on the planet and they've put together a free crm buyer's guide for you to read because so many recruitment leaders are looking to upgrade crms but before you sign the contract be sure to read the terms at least twice there's so many common traps that you need to watch out for so not understanding the pricing model is one that always comes up Discounts limited to only the first year of a contract length is something that companies will throw. What are monthly contracts all about? Could this mean flexibility for the vendor to raise the price in the future? And how is your data hosted? Where is it? Is it anything outside your country? And could it mean compliance and legal issues for you down the line? So you will see the web address to get that right next to this episode Wherever you're watching this episode, whether it's on LinkedIn, with Apple, Spotify, YouTube, just look below. You'll see the link, click the link and get that free guide. You will not regret learning all of these hacks before making your decision and locking yourself into a new contract with a new supplier. So tell us more. What you can talk about is what happened to you, though, right? So you, you mentioned about suicide. But yeah. What, what, tell us more about that. What, what went through your head and what did you actually do? Well, I mean, this is... You know, a few weeks after losing the business, um, I just I just lost my way mentally. And day after day, I was waking up have, having this feeling of I don't want to be anymore. I I, I I can't live with myself. I'm not adding any value to anybody. And the, and the feeling got so intense that I was transfixed and obsessed with I've got to end my life. I, I, I couldn't function. I couldn't I couldn't even. Think even thinking my own thoughts was difficult. I just hated every every minute of my existence. It was that bad. So for about for about a, for, for about a further week, I was thinking right. I started to plan out what I was going to do. So I picked the station, Chippenham Station, which is about twenty five minutes from where I lived back then. Mm-hmm. A quiet train station. I checked out online that they have high speed trains going across the station every half an hour or so. I thought right, all I got to do is drive to that station and jump in front of the train. So I got in the car. Uh, and it broke down halfway. Some guy helped me out. And I was just, I just, I was, I was absolutely 100. I remember driving thinking, I cannot wait to do this. I got to the point where I just, I just knew it was the right thing to do. And anyone who knows who's been in that situation before knows that feeling where you just think, oh, this please just climb my life. It was just it was quite a surreal thing. Um, so I got onto the platform station. There's a few people on the station and I'm pacing up and down a little bit, checking out looking over the edge, thinking, yeah, I can do it there. And then looks at my watch, the train's going to come past here in about five minutes. So there's people, a few people looking at me thinking, looking at me strangely. I thought, well, yeah, but anyway. And then I could see that in the distance, I could see the train coming. I was like giving myself up. And for some reason, it started to slow down and it stopped at the station. I thought, fuck. Now I looked at the front of the train and it looked so big and imposing. I thought, fuck, that's definitely going to kill me. I'll wait for the next one. So I'll wait for the next one. Dead cert, I was going to do it. And then I got a phone call. And uh, that jumped me out of it, and I managed to go back home. And then, thank fuck, I didn't do it. And then people are going to say, I've seen some recent stuff online about suicide ideation and killing yourself, particularly with children, is so selfish. But I disagree with that because you don't really understand what someone goes through in that situation. But obviously, I'm pleased I didn't do that. But yeah, yeah, and that, there was two or three examples of that, mate. And uh, yeah, it's not 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 a not a pleasant existence at that time. 
So what was it? That, obviously, someone phoning you, but was there any one thing that stopped you? Do you think that kept you from really pushing yourself over the edge, like taking that final step? Um, I think I think the phone call did help. But I think I think it has to be my children, one hundred percent, my children, because I've also gone through parental alienation. Now it's all fine and it's amazing, right? Um, and anyone who, who knows me and if you look at my Instagram, my, my Facebook, and all that kind of stuff, you know, I, I love my kids. I'm a doting father. I see them every, every other weekend, every Wednesday, half the holidays. They adore me. I adore them. And it's for me, my, my children are just, you know, my existence, basically. So I think that was one thing. But also inherently now, I think deep down, I know that I do have a gift without being too big-headed about it I think I'm on this earth to actually teach and mentor and guide people and be a leadership coach and do what I'm doing so I think that um I'm starting to get that I think I'm starting to get the self-belief and self-worth that I never had and I'm you know ready to kind of flourish and realize my full potential and I think I think many people in this world just go through the motions, right? They go day to day. They don't even know why why they're doing what they're doing. They don't have a purpose. And I think I've really defined my purpose as actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got so much to offer. So I think it's, I think it's fulfilling my actual potential, which now really excites me. What I'm capable of doing, I think can can be magnificent and amazing. So I'm going to go all out to to do that now and and remove the limiting beliefs and all all the self doubt that most people have. Right. Um, So, yeah, that, that that's that's the reason why I think that I'm so far removed from what I was then to what I am now. So let's, and I'm really glad I'm really glad you've you've come to that place. But mm. let's go go back again. So we we come out of the suicide attempts. Thankfully, you didn't take that step. What what happened then? How was your how was your life changed? And what what steps did you take? Yeah, to, to see the light and become more. What did you act physically? Like, t- what did you practically do? Yeah, I think I think the moment I left the family home with a few bin bags and just kind of just got out, moved into a into an apartment was the day I kind of started my life. This was three right. only three years ago. So forget all the all the awards, all the businesses, you know, all the million pounds that I had and all this kind of stuff. I don't think I was on the planet until then. So moving out of family home, being on my own every day. I quite like being on my own anyway, but um, I love company as well. But was 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 the catalyst to think right hang on a second chris you're you're a fucking good guy look what you've so up until that point i never even thought about what i stuff what i did was even any good but i started to write down right you've got 14 inch awards you've got 14 industry awards you built a 25 million pound business you're this you're this and it's like hang on a second you've got loads of friends you've got beautiful children i kind of like did, did all that kind of stuff then i started listening to podcasts then i started exercising then i started kind of thinking about actually where have i gone wrong where have i gone right and it was the fact that I put 100% of my, my effort into my business was my downfall. So I, I come up with this, this uh, business idea around kind of, you know, the six facets of business, personal development, health, fitness, spirituality, purpose, there's six things like on there and kind of apportioning the right amount of time to those. So I, I believe if you haven't got, if you've got poor relationships outside of work, you're going to have poor business relationships. If you're not exercising, you're not doing personal development, you're not going to be clearing work. So all that kind of stuff. So it's just kind of like, then I thought, I, I'm one of the only, back then, three or four years ago, I was one of the only few people that have built a business to, to scale and exit anyway. So why don't I advise people how to do that? I've been there and done it. So I started out as an NED and kind of got one or two under my belt, then got five or six and started to put my prices up and then started to get some amazing reviews. Then I started to be really open on LinkedIn. Andrew Silito, you might know him. He's yep. a great, great guy on on here. Uh, he invited me on one of, his, one, of, one of his webinars and I did a talk on vulnerability and leadership and that blew up and I talked about my own story. So I think it was the combination of actually I'm a good guy, having the confidence to be open and vulnerable on LinkedIn, be myself, talk about suicide, talk about vulnerability, talk about this, remove the kind of I'm a CEO, I've done this, that kind of stuff and kind of pivot through my personal brand. And that's what I did. And that's, and that's, that's how I built my, my, built my business. Now, I mean, I've, I've got a great reputation, great re- references. I've got, rec- I've got clients knocking on my door, wanting to, wanting me to help them, and, but I've got the right balance. So, so what I, do you, I, if you're taking a, let's just take an example, a hypothetical example of a recruitment firm. 
you know, you've got a couple of founders that are running a business of 30 staff and they're not growing. They're stressed. They're working. They're still billing. They're running around like lunatics. There's so many of these people out there. What do you do? Like, how do you help? Yeah. So that example, they'll come to me and say, Chris, we've got um, 30 people now. I want to get to 100. We want you to come in and do all this kind of stuff. And so I say, yeah, I can, I can help you with headcount, strategy, profit, profitability, market mapping, business development, all that kind of stuff. But before we even go there, why? What, what, why are you doing what you're doing? And half of them don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. They're just going from day to day. They haven't got a clue. And it's not actually not about the money. More often than not, it's actually to spend quality time with their children. So when I dig deep and they'll say, oh, it's, we want to build this business. Why? Oh, we want to make loads of money. Why? Because we want to leave a legacy for our children. You know, and it's actually, so then we, once we've got the vision sorted out, their own internal personal vision, we then do a company vision. Um, and what I try to do is remove their ego. A lot of it is fear. So th- th- what they try to do is they try to do all things. They try to be all things for people. So I, under- I understand what their strengths and weaknesses are. And more often than not, one's really good at ops. One's really good at sales. And I segment them out. Go, Even though you're, you're both a CEO, they're your three to five strengths. That's what the business needs. They're your three to five strengths. You focus on those. And once once they get that and they do it, they feel happier. They feel motivated. And they feel like, oh, they've got, they've, they've got their own sense of purpose. They remove this kind of like, I have to be the CEO. I have to be involved. And then we play that out across the leadership team and everyone else. And that's how we do it. We've done a, me and Amber have done something very similar. Like I've talked about it loads on here, but yeah. April, just before our podcast on your, when I was on yours, we, I was basically involved in everything and was becoming a bottleneck, if I'm honest. And um, yeah, Amber was like, get out, yeah. get out of the agency side of the business, all the managed service side of the business. Just get out of it. Like, let me, let me, let me take it. And yeah. I was like, I'll take the training academy side and, and it was a big ego hit because I'm like, you know, that's my baby and I created it and I'm still involved. It's still my face attached, but I don't do any, any of it. Like not a single part of the business do I get involved. Right. It's quality. And, um, yeah. I'm really proud of the fact I'm redundant from it. <laughs> mm. um, and, uh, but it took a lot of work to do that. And now the business is in so much better shape because we both own our own entities. Exactly. We both drive them in, you know, they're both connected. Everything, all the central services, marketing people, all that's mm. together, but separate P&Ls and, you know, we go for it in separate ways. So, yeah, yeah. But it took that, that took four years to get to that point. And yeah. now, obviously, we're going to keep evolving. But it's, it's mad how many people don't think about it. They just, just keep oh, going really? as hard as they can and stress themselves out. Yeah, or they'll point fingers at the team saying, oh, you know, these these guys aren't performing or they'll, they'll look at everywhere else but themselves. More often than not, the reason why businesses aren't growing is down to the leadership team. It's having that accountability. And sometimes, I mean, I can do all the processes in the world, but more often than not, me coming in and just telling them straight and holding them to account is, is priceless. They haven't got that. They kind of... They, they kind of like pat themselves on the back or, or they'll never really, you know, have those difficult conversations with each other or themselves. And that, that's the power of bringing someone like me in to do that. So when, has it ever gone wrong where you've told someone they've hated the feedback and told you to bugger up? Well, not got wrong. I mean, I've, 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 I've been straight with them and some, I've had a couple of people that don't take it and then kind of like wouldn't, haven't spoken to me again. Like, well, fair enough. <laughs> you know? And I, th- I, and I, I think mo- most of them really get it because I don't do it within the first sentence or two, but you know, yeah. normally in the first discovery call, I can tell, I can tell if they're not, if they're not willing to be coach, coached, but yeah. if they yeah. can't take that, there's no point. Don't get, don't get someone like me in if you can't, if you can't handle the truth. Do you know what I mean? And, that, and that's, that, that's my philosophy. So, so what I happens mean, after, after you've got the visions mapped? Yeah. Like, where do you, what do you actually do then? Is it more just advisory of the owners? Well, no, the, the, the vision is, 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 is the company vision. Then, then what I would do is, you know, as I say, segment the owners into their objectives. Then we look at the, the, the underbelly, the, the immediate leadership team and go, well, I, I'd ask them to do their own 18 month individual plan, not three years, it's too far. So, so we, we want, we want to get the leadership team, focused on so they're part of the vision as well it's not just the owner's vision it's everyone's vision but individually where do they want to go so then they're on the hook for kind of like not just being a transactional this has been a good week a good month actually where do they want to get to and then we ask their team to map out their career as well but then that all funnels into the overall kind of creative and plan as as a vision and mission so what i'm trying to say is we ask everybody to start thinking more uh, holistically and, and get them to write their own business plan 
and then we exit and, th and then we help them get there then it's like right there's there's five operations things to do there's five marketing things to do there's five hr things to do who's the best person to do that and i will then oversee that and help them execute it wicked so it's yeah it's just about it's doing a deep deep discovery and finding out normally there's like 30 things to do in a business right but what are the most important things then, then I would do like a ninety. Then I'll do a specific ninety-day plan as well. So the, the first, the first, as an example, um, one of the things I'm doing for one of the businesses is their content marketing strategy. Believe it or not, all their LinkedIn banners are different. All their auto signatures are different. The website's crap. No, no one's doing any content. So we're looking at that element, and then we've got a, on the sales side, we're looking at a, a structured business development strategy and program, and then um, also a gold, silver, bronze. How we're going to mushroom out our existing accounts um you know there's there's a, a lot of it is just process 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 and getting people into good habits i often i often do monthly business reviews as well now so I, i'm holding board meetings as well so i guess where i'm different in the market you know i can hold a board meet, meeting one week and then next week I'll, I'll be doing a training course on how to spec in candidates and i think that's quite a good facet to have because i still i still love recruitment i still do the odd deal myself um you know and if, if there's ever, ever not enough to do then i'm you know i shouldn't be there you know and how, how many clients have you got at the minute? It fluctuates. I've got about 10 at the moment, yeah. um, which is, you know, quite a sounds, lot. Sounds more than manageable and comfortable and fun. Yeah, and you're kind of getting, getting into the swing of it now where kind of like uh, I don't like to waste time in meetings. I have a structured meeting. It's like, more often than not, some customers only need me for three or four hours a week, right? Um, some, of, some of it's face-to-face. -face. I've got one client where I'm doing three or four days a week, actually. And it's just about managing your time and um using that effectively and i've i think I've, I've certainly improved in that area and what's life like so tell us about i remember meeting you last year in bristol so we know we both know good old john blackburn and, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, when i was in bristol meeting a client i was like johnny i'm around and you turned up and we had a we had a beer which is yeah, fun yeah well, johnny's johnny's a great lad he's a great ceo good human being yeah cool i mean i think everyone i've met in bristol i've really liked there's like a really good community yeah. down there everyone's just wicked the guy called nick bamba do you know nick bamba yeah he's yeah, i think he's friends with uh john uh, with uh john yeah i mean bristol yeah. i mean I, I was i was born in slough but i say west london <laughs> I, I, I moved here 20 years ago and it is it is a great city mate it's got great culture great music great restaurants all that kind of stuff but i'm back in london quite a lot so my life is good um i've got a nice apartment on the river uh i see my kids regularly um and are they local are they? yeah they're local I, I make sure that um I, i'm in control of my life and it's really important that in my diary i'll, I'll go for a walk or go for a run at 11 o'clock in during the day so it's how, you know i do like going back into the some of my clients i go back into the office and i'm spending time in the office but i mean i'm i i'm very grateful that i can i can i can go to the gym at three o'clock in the afternoon if i wanted to if it's not in my diary so I've got that flexibility. So I, I make sure that where possible, if I'm with my kids, I turn the laptop off. I'm not on the phone. But if if I'm in my business mode, I, I'm in my business mode. And I try not to blur the lines. And I think that's that's the, that's the important thing. You're trying to do, but like, but admittedly this week, I've, I've witnessed that I've been on my phone quite a lot with my with my kids then. I've, I've picked it up. So I've, I think it's never a perfect science, but... I just don't think you can you can you can spend time with the kids and do your business as well. I think that that's when it starts to get a bit tricky. It's mad. I always, I always, I like to travel a lot, right? And I, and I always usually keep my content going and keep my brand out there because it, just it's just vital and important, and it keeps the leads coming and all the rest of it. Um, but last week in Turkey, I was like, you know what? I just want a break from it. I want a week yeah. off it, and it's very. I don't remember ever doing it really, and I didn't post once. I think there was stuff that went out automatically on my profile from the team, but I never posted and I didn't respond to anything. And fifth, my screen time on, on my iPhone was 58% down in one week, which is wow. 60%. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I loved it. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I mean, when I go on my next trip, I'll probably, depending if I'm, if I'm not with the kids, I'll yeah. probably just keep, keep ticking. But when I'm with them, I'm going to try and be more present. Um, and it is, they mm. can tell. They know when you, how old are your kids? I've got a four-year-old and an eight-year-old, and it, yeah, it, it is know. really, it is really difficult. So, I mean, I, I, it was yesterday, and I was I was doing something on my phone, right? And Chester was going, "Dad, Dad, Dad!" And I was like, "Fuck, I'm doing I'm doing it again." It's like, and I think I think with the nature of what what we do with you know, sometimes you can get sucked in with the with the posting and the comments. You know, if you're running a business and you're a social media person as well, I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's it's hard to put that downtime, in, isn't it? 
it's a lot, but you've got to, you've got to like, you know, nothing's changed in a week. I've had my week off. I've come back. My business is still going, you know, as long as I'm really consistent all, all every other time, like yeah, every other day, then it's fine. What, what do you see then from the, you talk about this kind of like holistic lifestyle of, well, mm. just break down the six steps you have again. Cause it, so it's um, business and finance. So business, then personal development. So what is that like? Personal development. So that's, that's like... making sure you're, you're, you're portioning some time to growth. So that could be, I'm listening to Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey on all yeah, of Yeah, smash that. It's great. Yeah, I'm really excited by that. So making sure I've got X number of hours per week, either listen to a podcast or absorbing stuff that's going to make me grow. That's personal development. Health and fitness is obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not into running like you i don't like it as much but i love my walks and my gym i play football um and then purpose stroke spirituality so you know i'm not religious mate but i i do have i do i do have a gratitude thing i've got a whiteboard in my bedroom and it's got all my values on there like courage and discipline i've got some affirmations on there so when i walk when i wake up every morning i'm absorbing that kind of stuff yeah and i do connect to a higher power i don't care what people think this is what i do and i, I do believe there is, and I, I i i i try to kind of connect and meditate and breathe and look at myself and tune into myself and just kind of center myself and try to base my decisions on my values so there's a couple of clients i'm working with at the moment that are so far away from my values that i'm going to have to make a call on them it's, it's making those kind of decisions where 10 years ago i just i'll just, just take the money it's mm. those kind of things, making sure that I'm, I'm in tune with that. And then um, relationships. Is, and then the final one is um, uh, finance and wealth. So there's six facets there, personal development, health and fitness, purpose, business, relationships and finance. You can't have all six singing at the same time. But what I find is that um, it's knowing when to move the dial. So I haven't been exercising as much the last couple of months because I've been flying around in London and it's actually started to affect my business. So. I'm cognizant now that I'll probably need to spend a couple of hours less doing the business, a couple of hours more doing exercise. So it's, I just think it's just having the ability, ability to move and shake. Because do you beat yourself up about it? Like I'm, I'm one of them where yeah. I've, I've, I've had last week away. I still ran five times. I actually ran my two hundredth run, two hundredth day of running this year, which I'm really happy about. Amazing. Today. Um, and I'm a crap runner. I'm still not physically good, but I'm just consistent. Um, but you know, when I did have a couple of days off because I hurt my toe and I just it was so hot and I beat, mm. I beat myself up. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're lazy, but like, you know, put a bit of weight on on all day. Most people do. I beat myself up, and I'm like, do you do you find yourself still do you do that? Mate, I, I wouldn't say I'm perfect. I, I I don't. I used to a hell of a lot, and I was thinking, you know, and that, that doesn't serve anybody. I think I think like it's like being on a diet. Sometimes have the odd kind of cheat day, or I think life gets in the way sometimes. And if you keep beating yourself up, you're never going to be motivated anyway. Yeah. But I think you just got to have that self discipline. I think deep down, you know. If and when you're kidding yourself, well, mm. we're in our forties now, mate. You must be forty something, right? No, thirty-six. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> thirty-six on Friday. I already know the answer to that. Thirty-six. Oh, wait, congratulations. Um, so it's. I think it's about we're at an age now where we know that it's okay to like have the extra beer as long as it doesn't get out of hand. And I think mm. you got to have that flexibility, otherwise life's boring, right? Mm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I had uh, I had a few extra beers last week. Definitely, I, uh, <laughs> it's hard the in the sun, isn't it? When the sun's it's out. It's thirty-five well. degrees, and the FS is cold in Turkey. It's just there's not much better than that. It's so much fun. Um, yeah. Mad though, because like you talk about personal development, that's the one thing I've probably sacked off so much this year. So last year, living in Manchester, my life was quite similar to you. I lived in this beautiful flat with my dog, and I woke up and I used to meditate and I used to listen yeah. to podcasts and read books, and I was running. I wasn't running so much. Um, my health and fitness actually has been better this year, but my probably time for myself was easier then. Now I've got two stepkids. I've got a partner. I've got an extra dog. I'm just, <laughs> just you know, my life's just mad. And one thing I have said is I'm, I was sick of self-improvement. I was actually sick of it. I was like, I'm, yeah. I don't want to read any more podcasts. I don't want to read yeah. any more books for a bit. Like I don't want to consume more than I need to for a bit. Um, mm. What I've learned this now is just coming on that holiday. So my ex was Turkish and I used to listen I had a tutor for a bit and I learned from her and her family for six years how to speak Turkish. And I'm, yeah. I'm very basic. I'm like a toddler in England probably, but I'm, <laughs> uh, I was, when I went on this holiday with my new family, like they obviously know nothing. And I was yeah. the one who understood it. And I spoke loads and, you know, I felt so confident doing it. I, I actually was worse with the Turkish family because they used right. to do it for me and I was the crap one. Anyway, why am I telling you this? But 
I've I've come back with a with a real drive to learn it. I want to take mm. that now and and develop my skills yes. in that. I actually, I agree. I kind of thought, well, because of my ex, maybe I'll just leave it there. But now I'm like, no, I want to override that. I want to override yeah. and create create a new chapter with that country. Um, so that's my self improvement bit now. I'm going to get back on the podcasts because there's Turkish podcasts I used to listen to, and I'm going to get a tutor. And mm. I'm getting married in October in Turkey, so I want nice. I've got a three month plan. I want to be able to say a lot more than I can now, and then because yeah. I'm going to go, I'm definitely going to go on holiday there every year. I'll I'll develop it. That sounds great. I mean, I, I've had four or five different coaches, and even when I'm even when I'm doing well, I always try to up the ante. But you're right that I, I I do go in waves. After like five or six months, I think I want a little break. But now, and I, I haven't really done much of that. But now I've just hired a new coach, and the kind of like it's, it's it's when I'm not growing and not going forward, I start to get down and depressed. Don't get me wrong, you know. I, now and again, I might sit in front of the TV and eat some crisps and not do anything. But that used to be kind of like, what was I doing of an evening? Just watching TV now of an evening, I do want to try and do something that's going to benefit me. So I think personally, uh, that word growth is really important, but there needs to be some flexibility as well. And what do you see from your client base when you're meeting these owners? Hmm. I've got my opinion on it, but... What do you see from them? From what's a classic story of how they interact with health, fitness, family, children, wives, husbands? They, they, are, they, are, they often don't. I mean, I've got, I've got actually, I've got, I've got some a couple of examples of people doing it well, but eighty percent of them, they're kind of they're so entrenched in their business, you know, they can't even spell the spell the word wife or remember her name, kind of thing. Honestly, it's like it's, it's like, and on a second, I can see it, and I, I advise them to say, look what I want you to do is take a couple of days off and let me do some of this stuff no, I mean, the, and spend some time with your wife. And they, and they really, and they really get it. It's like when someone tells them that, I said, when was the last time you spent some quality time with your wife? And they're thinking, isn't this, a, aren't you a business coach? Well, yeah, I am a business coach because actually that's dramatically affecting what you're doing. You can see it in their eyes. You can see the way they're yeah. so kind of worried about what their next action and task is in the business. When they go home, I can't imagine what it must be like for their, for their for their family. So, that, to be honest, that's probably one of the biggest reasons why businesses, the leaders, aren't growing is because they haven't got the wide enough lens on their life. And it's about being the CEO of your life, not just your business. And do you think it's easy for people to take to to, to change that? Or is that yeah, a, the, the, the the reason why I can see it is because I, I used to be that person myself. So, um, and actually. Um, it doesn't take long to actually understand that and realize that. And more often than not, if you spend a bit more time doing exercise, doing personal development, doing time with your wife, time with your wife or your or your husband or whatever, when you go back into work, you feel more refreshed, you feel more self worthy, and you and you and you your communication style is better, and you execute, you actually achieve more with less time. And it's about getting them to understand that. And and that, that's that's how I do it. Well, rather than trying to do ninety nine tasks in one day, execute five great things really well, and delegate the rest. And that's that's what happens. Well, you made a couple of points earlier in the show about like what is a life changing amount of money and what is the, you know what is the target. And you know most recruitment owners I speak to have got some serious targets, right? They want to sell yeah. for a hundred million, or they want to sell for twenty five million, or they've got these numbers in their head, like. Hmm. Do, you, do you ever dissect that and go like what are you going to do like and yeah i do because i mean I, I think more often than not they can have a number in their head but the actual real re- reality of that coming to fruition is is very rare because even if even if someone offers you that number as a headline number when you actually get the heads of terms it's something different and you've got to stand on one leg and be there for five years to actually get it and so actually i say well why is a hundred million an example important to you and they'd be like well it just sounds like a, more often than not they don't even know <laughs> you know, it just sounds like an or they're trying to do it for vanity, or they're trying to do it to be bigger than someone else. Or and actually, when you when you break it down, the number's not necessarily important. It's it's, it's what that money or a, a amount of money would give them in terms of a vehicle for freedom. And I ask them, so why are you doing this? And they say, well, I, I, I want to build um, a future for my children. Why do you want to build a future for your children? So I want to spend more time with the children. Also, you want to spend more time with the children. So. Well, that's five minutes or ten minutes. It doesn't matter. Let's let's get it to a point where you're you're in a position where you can spend more time. And more often than not, you will get them to that position. And they don't want to exit anyway. They just want to spend a bit more time. And they want to do kind of half and half. So it's just a fallacy. I think they we, they chase this mystical number and thinking, I used to do this. So when I get a car, when I get a girlfriend, when I get a million quid, I'm going to feel this. I'm going to feel that. 
it's nonsense. You've got to enjoy that process along the way. And if, mm. if and when you get there, you get there. Remove the outcome. Yeah, it's mad. It's kind of opposite of what everyone thinks they yeah. need to do, isn't it? I've been like that. The last couple of years, we just removed it. We always used to talk about exit. And I'm like, well, if it happens, it happens. I'm not, I'm not going to pin my life on it. I want to enjoy my life. I'm more bothered about yeah. enjoying every year on the way. I think... For me, and I know me and Amma, it's always been about financial security more than it's not not necessarily the highest point, it's the lowest point. Like mm. what's the yeah. you know, because the fear is it all crumbles and you, you know, you yeah, have to start again. It's like well, how do we get to a point where we've got the future covered? Mm. And what does that look like? You know, how much money is that that we need? And we've worked to a degree, we've looked at that number. We're still not it's funny because my coach said to me, Go on, tell me, tell me the vision. And I remember saying to him, I think I said 2.5 million. Like I said, I want 2.5 million. He goes, all right, yeah. cool. Tell me the vision. And I told him this vision. And he's yeah. like, go on. So where are you going to be? What are you going to do? How are you going to live? I told him. And he started laughing his head off. I said, what, what are you laughing at? He goes, do you want to know what? He said, I didn't expect you to say all that. I said, well, why? He goes, because I'm still waiting for the bit where you need 2.5 million. He's like, your, your expectation's so low. Yeah. Like, you're not, you never said I want a fucking jet or a private yacht or a yeah. billion dollars. You're not, you're not asking for much. You said you want a nice house with a nice family, time time to spend with them, travel regularly. Like, you know, mm. do you need two point five million to do that? I'm like, well, yeah, probably not. I think it's, I think mm. it's having the recurring income or the pot that says, yeah. if I didn't go back to work forever, I'll, I could, I could, I, not that I don't. Why would I yeah. not want to work? Like you now, you want to work, right? You wake up, yeah. and you enjoy what you. I love what I do. You love what you do, yeah. like. I'm not going to get to 45 and suddenly want to sit there watching Judge Judy all day. No, and no, if I go no. on holiday all the time, I'll just drink beers in the sun. I can't do that all the time. So you've yeah. got to, it's mad. Um, it is mad. It is mad because when, when I was a millionaire, I, I, I had certain beliefs about money. Then I lost it all. And for a period of about two or three years, I started to resent people with money. Any Anyone who would talk about money or talk about their car, I think, oh, what, what, what a twat, right? Yeah. For want of a better term. Now I've started earning the money again. My relationship with money and my my mindset towards it is different, and I think that's why I'm earning the money because I've got the purpose, I've got the fulfillment, and I'm I'm actually earning the money as well. So the process of me doing what I'm doing and earning the money is rich. So I've now got a taste for money again. So what I'm trying to say is that I want the money now, but it's not the be or an end. It's not my driver. But I th- I think if you if you're anti money and start resenting it, that's not a good thing. I think no. there's a balance to be struck. You're probably more aware of what the money is going to do for you now. So it's like, yeah. for me, I know that making money is is about laying foundations. So I'm investing yeah. it in different things. I'm not just going, fucking hell, where can we buy a yeah. new car or a new... I'm not interested. Exactly. And I know people who are. Like one of my clients last week was like, every time he buys something new, he's like, right, what's next? And he constantly yeah. looks for shit. And yeah. I'm, just, I'm not bothered about that. Not, 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 and I'm not saying I'm better than anyone who is. I just don't. It's just not my drive. It never will be. Um, Chris, we've, we're up. To, we're, we're times up. I, I wish we could carry this on because it's um, it's been quite. It's been nice to do the reverse show because you didn't. Yeah, yeah. One thing about your podcast is you actually didn't share much about you in it. You you properly just listened and asked mm. a lot of questions. I think I can often over talk in when I'm hosting. <laughs> that was good, um, but, but I. Uh, you know, it's been really nice to hear your story and, and I'm sure there's, there's shitloads more we've not uncovered. Um, if anyone, I, I know the answer to this. If anyone wants to talk to you, you you're up for it, right? LinkedIn. Yeah, oh, LinkedIn, yeah. Instagram as well. But yeah, please, please uh, drop me a message on there. Yeah, for sure. You'll be tagged in everything. And um, good luck with everything that moves forward. I'm, 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 I believe in what you're doing. I believe our industry needs more people like you. Um, you know, I think we see the world in a similar, similar way. And, and I think it can only be more... Um, we, the industry can only be stronger if the leaders, the fa- the people that have the foundation, mm. are more aware of the their the, you know they're the CEO of their own life. They're not just CEO of a yeah. No, thank you, Matt. And as I, I say say that back to you. I see a lot of myself in you in terms of what you stand for, you know, and what you're doing in this sector is is great. So, bravo to you, mate. And uh, yeah, all the best for the future. I really appreciate you you get me on. Legend. See you soon. Cheers, mate. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. 
I am the CEO and founder of Oxford Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn that's how to brand themselves that's how to produce content that's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business we're coaching people all over the world every single day if any of that sounds of interest please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me Sean Anderson a personal message on LinkedIn and would love to talk to you tune in again next week that's live on LinkedIn I'll see you soon